We're on lesson three of the tabernacle plan and without recapping uh, just tell you that uh, we will have these first two lessons posted by the end of this week all three of these lessons uh, on our website and what you're looking at is you're looking at a model of the tabernacle the plan that God gave man uh, in the wilderness uh, and the uh, where he would come down and he would dwell with them and today we are going to look at the second piece of furnishings that God gave them the blueprint and the instructions to build that would go inside of the tabernacle. You are looking at a cutaway drawing and the red arrow is pointing to what we call the table of shewbread. It's actually S-H-E-W, shewbread. And uh, 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 it is placed right outside of the veil that separates the holy place from the holy of holies and it is placed on the north side of the tabernacle in the holy place. So the holy place of course we found out measures 2,000 cubits and the holy of holies where the ark is measures a thousand cubits. A thousand cubits probably representing the thousand year millennia reign of Christ, the 2,000 cubit holy place and each of these pieces of furnishings, there are three pieces of furnishings inside of the holy place. There's the seven-lamped candelabra or the menorah. There's the altar of incense. And then, of course, there is this table of shewbread. And you will notice that as you walk through the tabernacle plan that the items are placed, many people say, in the shape of a cross because we found out that we are studying in typology a picture of things for then but a picture of things that would come. And uh, we are several thousand years on the other side of this tabernacle plan, about 3,500 years, and it still speaks to us today. So as we get into this lesson on the table of shewbread, we have noticed that we have chosen, there are two ways I can teach on tabernacles or the tabernacle plan. I can teach as we approach from the eastern gate and we walk through the 12 tribes that are camped around the tabernacle and we walk through the tribe of Judah and Levi to get to the one door that faces the east into the outer court and then we begin to approach God as we come past the altar of sacrifice which is the brazen altar then we walk past the brazen laver that's made out of the looking glasses of women we come to the first door that comes into the tent of the meeting which leads us into the holy place and there we are in this tent where the seven lamp menorah and the altar of incense and the table of shewbread is and then the only thing that is separating us now from getting into the holy place where the presence of God would dwell between the cherubims on the mercy seat sitting on top of the uh, Ark of the Covenant, of course, in the Holy of Holies. However, rather than teach it from us approaching God, I'm teaching this lesson in the way that God gave it to man. And we found that God has given us the tabernacle plan starting with his throne, which was the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. And this showing that God was first, before he ever even tells them how to build a tabernacle, he first has them build the throne, the Ark of the Covenant. And now, what is incredible is I am going in order as to how he gave the instruction, and there's a great mystery in this. So after he gives them the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat which sat upon it with the cherubims where the Shekinah, the glory of God, the Kavod, would meet with them and speak to them, he then gives them the instructions on this table of shewbread. Uh, we recognize as we look at this table of shewbread that 
the bread that sat upon it. Obviously, bread is used so many times in the scripture, and I'll just rapidly make mention of the fact that Jesus said that he was the bread from heaven. And of course, we know that this table that God is about to give us the instruction on how to build will represent the Messiah. We are looking at a blueprint here of the most holy place that has the Ark of the Covenant. And I have labeled that as number one. The first thing that he gave us the plan to build was the Ark and the Mercy Seat. Now then, we now pass, pass the veil. He hasn't given us the instruction of, to build a veil yet, so we still are able to. And the next thing he gives us the instruction to build is this table of shoe bread. The third item that he gives us the instruction to build is the golden lampstand, or what we call the menorah, or the seven lamp candlestick, or candelabra. And then what's interesting, you would think that as you look, because there are only three items of furnishings in this holy place, and only one in the Holy of Holies, and we've covered the ark, which is in the Holy of Holies, and now the next thing he gives us is the table of shewbread in the holy place, and then next he'll give us the lampstand, then that only leaves one other piece of furnishing in the tabernacle itself, and that would be the altar of incense. However, as we walk through the plan of God, he is not going to give us the plan to build the altar of incense until the 14th step. 14 other, 13 preceding items that he will give us instructions on what to do. And there is a mystery in this, and I won't get into that mystery tonight, but I'm going to give you a few things, and those that are joining us by podcast, that you can study that will drive you nuts while you try to figure them out. And remember, a lot of this has taken me years, so it'll probably only take you a few days. Uh, the writer of Hebrews, having just mentioned to you that God does not give them the plan to build this third furnishing in the holy place, which is called the altar of incense, having said that in my quest, Let's look at Hebrews chapter 9 when we go to the New Testament, and we're going to read verses 1 through 3. So, in the letter to the Hebrews, obviously these Jewish people, uh, the apostle is giving them the pattern and the blueprint of the tabernacle and expressing how Christ fulfills this, how this gift of salvation through this house of skin, the man Christ Jesus, God with us, how he fulfills the old covenant, and now has brought us into a new covenant. But it's interesting that his reading from Hebrews 9, verse 1 through 3, then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of a divine service and a worldly sanctuary. Now you know what we're talking about. The sanctuary we're talking about is the church in the wilderness, first church, and that is the tabernacle. Verse 2, For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the shewbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. So it's interesting, very interesting, that the writer here does not mention the altar of incense either, even though he is mentioning the holy place, and he is mentioning the holy of holies. And it is little things like this that God hides throughout his word that will keep you intrigued throughout your life trying to search out why does God do things certain ways <clears throat> and then as you begin to compare the old and the new uh, God many times will reveal to us uh, his answers so once again uh, we see that uh, God's mysterious word 
we won't get to the altar of incense till we get to the 14th item, uh, 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 the 14th uh, piece of instruction that he gives us to build because we're doing it in the order that God gave us. And God gave us the instruction from the inside out. Just like in Genesis, he starts within the beginning God. Then he begins to express the universe because without God, everything else is meaningless. So we will find that this table of shoe bread and this artist's rendition is actually a very poor rendition. It doesn't look anything like this. But uh, and today, uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, they have reconstructed the altar or the table of shoe bread. And also, uh, they now, a few years ago, were able to capture the recipe through much trial and error to where they are able now to bake this bread and in preparation for the third temple. And uh, the miraculous thing for those of you that are bakers and you do not use uh, any type of chemical agents or anything to keep uh, mold from being produced, this bread sat in front of God for seven days and then the priests that were coming on duty would eat it in the holy place and it would still be warm and it would not have shown any sign of mold or deterioration and they now have uh, figured out how to do that and it's quite a unique shape and it's pretty interesting read you can find this at the Temple Institute okay so Exodus 25 and uh, beginning verse 30 is where he begins to give us the instruction on how to build this table where the shoe bread will sit now God's mercy that's reaching out to man from his throne his mercy is offering us life. And so what we're seeing is, as soon as he gives us the plan to where he's seated in his throne, he then is going to give us a plan for a table of which bread will be placed upon right outside of the veil. Remember, God lives behind the veil. And without rehashing lessons one through three, we see where this is exactly what Christ was. Whenever his flesh was torn and parted, the veil of the temple was rent because it was the Father in him that we now all have access to God by the man, just as we had access to God in the tabernacle after we passed through the veil with the blood. And so we see where his mercy is giving us this plan first off after his throne, his presence, to build a table of shoe bread. Now, some of the mentions of bread in the Bible, bread is seen as the staple of life. So God's presence, he is offering us life. Of course, we see at Passover where this bread is the bread that was given to them that brought deliverance. We see then when it was manna in the wilderness. Uh, and this manna that was given in the wilderness, of course, is what sustained them for 40 years. It's also interesting to note that whenever we look at the measure of how much manna they were to pick up in the wilderness, it was one-tenth of an uh, ephah. And on the day of the, for the Sabbath, two-tenths of, uh, of this portion, a double portion. And this is what each one of these 12 loaves of shoe bread, there would be 12 loaves of bread placed in two stacks, six loaves per stack. And uh, so we see that bread, again, brings life in the wilderness. We see where one of the offerings, which is our next lesson after we leave the tabernacle, is to understand the five offerings and sacrifices is a meal offering or a bread offering. We also see that once again with your feasts that on the day of Pentecost that two loaves are waved before the Lord. So bread continually throughout the Bible, I'm just giving a few examples, 
why did God give us this table of shewbread next? Now I'll get to that. But David, if you remember, he is strengthened from the shewbread. Now, interesting, and I'll mention it again, that this table of shewbread is one of three of the furnishings that God gives them to build that has what we call a crown. If you will remember, the mercy seat has a crown around it. But this table of shewbread is quite unique in the fact that it has two crowns, a crown within a crown. And we can theorize that maybe that's because it represents him being king of kings and also being our priest. And we have been called kings and priests unto God. And you may not know this, but the high priest did wear a crown that said holiness unto the Lord on this golden crown. And we see where David, uh, whenever he was famished, that even though he was not a priest, he was on the run, and he actually went into the tabernacle and ate from the shewbread, of which God did not condemn him to do. Then we see whenever Avraham uh, comes back from battle, and there he is at the Kidron Valley, which is called, I think, the Valley of uh, Jehoshaphat in that day, uh, that he is given manna or bread uh, from Melchizedek, and that there enters into uh, the beginning of covenant with God and tithing in this covenant. We see where Jesus uses the loaves to feed the 5,000. We see where whenever we take today what we call communion or Passover or the Lord's Supper, we see where it involves bread. And of course the word is called the bread of life. So this table of shoe bread and the purpose of God giving it, uh, it measured two cubits long, it's about three feet. It measures a cubit wide and it measures a one and a half cubits high. Now, I haven't gotten into the numer numerology much on the furnishings, but let me just mention this to you, that the height of an item will dictate later when we get to the temple plan, it will dictate levels of sanctity, or what you and I may call levels of holiness or separation. So it's interesting that this table of shoe bread is the same height as the mercy seat in the tabernacle. I'm talking in the tabernacle, not in the temple now is the same height as the mercy seat in the tabernacle. It's also the same height as the grate and the altar of sacrifice. And so uh, if you haven't picked up on why God, uh, why, why does God give us the next thing as a table after on his mercy and grace, he starts with his throne reaching out to man. Exodus 25, 23 through 25, we will read the instructions on how they are to build this. Thou shalt make a table of shittim wood. Two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. So I'm reading Exodus 25, verses 23 through 25. And uh, the altar of incense that we're not going to get the plan for another ten lessons is two cubits tall. Altar of incense is... Uh, reason he doesn't give that yet. Verse 24, And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and thou shalt make thereunto a crown of gold round about. Now, we're going to see that the first item that he gives him instruction to build was, of course, the Ark of the Covenant. It was made out of acacia wood, shittim wood, and then covered with pure gold inside and outside. And we went through quite a length of scripture on sharing that that represented the twofold nature of the man Christ Jesus. He was a man, yet he was God in the flesh. He, had, uh, he was dual-natured, man and deity. So we now are going to see where this table is made from these same two uh, very diverse materials, 
shittim wood covered with gold. And so once again, it is going to be a picture of the uh, Messiah, the Mashiach, the right arm of the Lord. Uh, and we see where it represents his humanity and his divinity. And verse number 24, And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and make there a crown of gold round about. Verse 25, And thou shalt make into it a border of a handbreadth round about, and make a golden crown to the border thereof round about. So we see where we have a handbreadth, uh, a crown, on this thing two times. It is a crown within a crown. We see the two crowns. Exodus 25, verses 26 through 31. I will continue reading about the instructions on how they were to build this table. And thou shalt make for it four rings of gold, and put the rings in the four corners that are on the four feet thereof. Now, I could spend more time than you would like for me to on discussing uh, that line right there. But let me just simply bring this thought to you. As we study, or you study the tabernacle plan, uh, it's like everything else you study in the Bible. Just because you read how it was built does not mean that you've gleaned all the information about it because you also need to read how it was to be transported and how it was to be carried. And so what's interesting about the table of shoe bread is the fact that the rings where the staves will go through, that they are on the feet of the table. Any of you that have moved furniture, uh, usually you don't pick a table up and lift it from its legs. So what this means is, is that this thing's going to be lifted up by its legs. Let your imagination be your guide. And it's going to also now be the tallest thing they carry. So, uh, you either see that or you don't. Verse 28, And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold, and the table may be borne with them. And thou shalt make the dishes thereof, and spoons thereof, and covers thereof, and bowls thereof, to cover with all of pure gold shall thou make them. And thou shalt set upon the table of shewbread before me always. And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold, and then the next thing he's going to give us the plan to is the plan to build the seven lamp candelabra or the menorah. So, what is it that we have received instruction to build is a table. What is it that's going to go on this table? Bread. Now, I know you've already gotten there, but for those that haven't, let me express to you. Why would the first thing that God gives... Uh, us the plan after he gives us his throne and where he's going to meet with us why would the very next thing he give to us be the plan to build a table very easy in my opinion because table speaks of communion table speaks of fellowship why did God uh, build a tabernacle he wanted to dwell amongst us so he is building this table as the first thing he gives us because this is the place that he will meet with man. And uh, I don't know if I'm ahead of my lesson or not, but what we will see is, is that on this table then they will place the shoe bread, they will place frankincense, they will also have five items of uh, solid gold uh, articles that are used to uh, uh, pour out the wine libation on this table. They will also drink wine and they will only have this meal within the holy place. Now, uh, you can take this on many levels and you can recognize the fact that this communion meal was not given to us of the bread and the wine as what we call uh, uh, the Lord's Supper today, which of course was Passover, but it could only be eaten in this 2000, in the holy place. 
And if the holy place represented by the 2,000 cubits, then this is what we've been doing for the last 2,000 years. We as uh, priests and kings are having communion at, this is what is called the Lord's table. And so we will see this referred to in the New Testament. It's going to get a little more interesting than that. Let me read this verse. Exodus 25, verse 30. And thou shalt set up the table shewbread before me always. This is a perpetual thing. The bread is always to be before the Lord. Now, this bread has about four or five different references as far as different titles or a descriptive or terms that it is called. Uh, in Leviticus chapter 24, let's go on and read this and see how, how does it make this bread. So, anytime God is giving us instruction, I may be seeming to wear this subject out, but every detail will point to God or to Christ. To me, they're one and the same. Leviticus 24, verse 5 through 9. And thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof. Two-tenth deal shall be in one cake. And that two-tenth deal, as I said, that's a double portion of the daily amount that they would gather of the manna that dropped in the wilderness so that they would not have to uh, work on the Sabbath day and they would have double portion, one for that Friday, and then they would already have gathered the portion for the Sabbath, which was Saturday. And thou shalt set these uh, twelve cakes, thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, and upon the pure table before the Lord. Now, I want you to notice, God does not waste verbiage. He does not waste words. And so in order for Him to call this a pure table, P-U-R-E, uh, we are referencing now this table made out of acacia wood covered with gold. It is God's hidden vision of what the Messiah is. He is pure. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Now, frankincense, they tell me, is bitter. And I have been told in, uh, that uh, as they would eat this with frankincense on it, and there's several different opinions on what they did with the frankincense, but should they, it be as it says here that they put this frankincense on these loaves of bread and would bite into it, that the outer portion of the bread was bitter, but when you got into it, then you would taste the sweetness of this bread. And uh, that is much like, of course, the Word of God. As we first approach the Word of God, it speaks of death, it speaks of our lack, of our sin nature. But as we break through and we get into it, it is sweet. It's a light and a lamp unto our feet. And verse 8, Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be Aaron and his sons, that's the priests, that's us, and they shall eat it in the holy place, for it is most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord, made by fire for a perpetual statute. Now, Shirley, do you have uh, Leviticus 24 there handy? Do you have verse 10 and 11? Would you, would you come stand up here and just read that real quickly? And before you do, uh, I'm going to do this. Just, just come on up here. No, come up here. Uh, as a treat, I won't get into it, but uh, I'm going to give you a mystery. Uh, a soad, something that's not plain. And uh, for those of you, and I don't know if I'll ever have a chance to get to it in future lesson 200 or whatever as I teach on who the Antichrist is, uh, in my opinion... Uh, we are talking about the table of shewbread, we are talking about a perpetual covenant, and then God takes a very strange turn in His Word. A very, very strange turn in His Word. 
So here we are talking about this pure table that represents God in the flesh, represents Jesus Christ, man in God, deity. And now I'm going to have her read immediately these next two verses, and they don't seem to fit at all, if you'd read those for us. Now the son of an Israelite woman, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the children of Israel, and this Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought each other in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. And so they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shilomith, the daughter of Dibri of the tribe of Dan. Thank you. So here we go in Leviticus 24 verses 5 through 9. We've got the table of shewbread and with no break in the communicative scripture at all. Then in verse 10 and 11 all of a sudden we have this interesting thing about uh, a Jewish man uh, that blasphemies God and uh, strives against the things of God. And it's interesting where this is placed. And I'm just going to tell you that it's a mystery and that it will tie into the revelation of the Antichrist. And you can spend a long time checking all that out. All right. Now, shoe bread means bread of the faces, uh, panim. And it's, it's uh, so what we're seeing is, is that God... Uh, number one, we can look at the scripture. It says, Behold, for he's made the glory of God to shine in the face of Christ Jesus. And that probably absolutely would be fitting because everything in the Bible is a typology of Christ who is the word incarnate. But also, uh, another proper rendition would be in Revelation is the fact that there are 12 loaves on this table. And these 12 loaves represent the entirety of the church. We can call that Israel, the 12 tribes, and the bread of the faces that uh, we see through a glass darkly now, but God who knows the very number of hair on our head. We are continually before the Lord in this place of fellowship. And if we don't get anything else out of this lesson, we need to understand that the mercy and the love of God, the first thing he gives us after he is seated on his throne, is the next thing he wants man to do is to have fellowship with him by him building a table. And if that doesn't express to you, when you feel like God doesn't love you, let me tell you, our current presidents or kings in the earth, none of them have thought about preparing you a table right next to their throne. And God wants fellowship with his people. And he's humble, and he's meek, and he's lowly, and uh, just amazing. All right, so here we go. Uh, Leviticus chapter 24, verse 8. Every Sabbath he shall set in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. This bread is to be there continually. Numbers 4 and 7. It's once again called the continual bread offering. Upon the table of shoe bread they shall spread a cloth of blue, put there in the dishes and the spoons and the bowls and cover to cover with all and continue. Continually bread shall be thereon. Now, in Numbers you will find how this table is transported. And as I may get to this before we finish, the tabernacle teachings and the the tabernacle in transit but there is another a lot of hidden references in how they would cover and what they would cover each one of these items with when they packed the tabernacle in through the wilderness for the 40 years it was a uh, a portable uh, tent like thing they covered it to where if someone was passing by or even the people the Israelites could not see what was inside the tent even whenever they were packing it and the final covering would always be of course the badger skins okay John 6 and 51 Jesus says I am the living bread which came down from heaven 
If any man eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give is my flesh, and I will give for the life of the world. So what we overlook many times is that Christ is God's gift to man. He is the table. He is the place where we no man comes to the Father except by him. He is our place of communion. He is our place where we meet with God, where we, we're before God. Now, the first place, the word table is used 73 times in the King James Scripture, or in the Scripture. And uh, the first place that this word used throughout all the Bible is not used until God has them build this table of shewbread. So, in the rule of first mention, uh, we recognize the fact that if God did that, that the first place he mentions it is this communion table, that we can many times then, and most of the times it's mentioned, it has, the word table is used, uh, it is to describe or speak of this table of shewbread, then we find out that it is definitely God, a place where he wants to meet with us. He, he wants to have fellowship with us. Psalms 23 verse 5, read at many funerals, uh, David says, Thou preparest a table before me, in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. And so what probably David is referring to, obviously he is referring to the communion table of the Lord. And uh, if you'll remember, uh, the enemies of the Lord were the Egyptians that held them in bondage, and it was a table that they reclined at. It was the Passover table, the Passover Seder, that set them free. And so... This place of fellowship uh, is a place of protection. If you'll remember also that uh, on the night that Judas Iscariot would betray the Lord Jesus Christ, that he ends up not seated at the table. They are protected from what he's going to do. As Yeshua says, what you do now, do quickly. That's another story. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So we are looking now at another story of the table. Uh, Paul tells them, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be the partaker of the Lord's table and the table of devils. So we see where, once again, the purpose of God giving to us this article of furnishing to be the first thing after his throne was because it is to remind us of an everlasting covenant of fellowship, of God's love uh, for you and I. Also, we see where this bread that was placed on this that was continually before the Lord, was only eaten on the Sabbath, could only be eaten by priests, and uh, then as soon as the loaves were put on, other loaves were very cautiously, as one loaf's taken off, there's another loaf immediately placed on the edge of the table to where the, bread, the table is never bare from bread. Uh, uh, and, of course, we see uh, Leviticus chapter 24 and 7, that... And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be a bread for a memorial. And this is exactly what he was referring to, that uh, when we look at bread, now if we go through a typhoon and suddenly we had no grocery stores or nothing to eat, and just trust me, if someone would drop some, uh, maybe not that white bleached out dead stuff we call bread today, but if someone would drop off some stone ground wheat, uh, nutritious bread to us, which has got all the minerals and nutrients and even protein in it, uh, we would recognize the fact that uh, this bread that God has given us, it is something that sustains life. And in Luke chapter 22, 
It is a memorial. It is a, a remembrance of what God has done. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave to them saying, this is my body which is given for you, this doing remembrance of me. And so we see where in the Old Testament the shoe bread is called bread of memorial. And we see in the New Testament where Jesus calls his broken body the bread of remembrance or the bread of memorial. And of course we've transliterated this through the Aramaic, through the Greek, from the Hebrew to the English to the King James. But he actually, in my opinion and others as well, is making a reference or a reference to the fact that he is the shoe bread, the bread of life. Leviticus chapter 24, the bread of a memorial. Leviticus 24 verse 8. In other words, he's always before the Lord. Jesus Christ stands before God at all times. He is the table, so to speak. Leviticus 24 and 8. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel for an everlasting covenant. So, once again, we see how this uh, everlasting covenant is of the utmost importance to God, this shoe bread, this table. So this bread could only be eaten by the priests. And you say, how is that relevant to us today? Well, I'll get there in a moment, but... 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 tells us, But you are a chosen generation, you are a royal priesthood. So we too have been called and been given uh, permission to eat from this bread of a memorial, which is the body of Christ, the bread that's always before the Lord. Now this bread had to be made out of fine flour. And so just as we would trace the two different materials that the table was made out of. Let's think about for a moment what God is trying to teach us through the bread itself. John chapter 12 verse 24. Jesus says, Truly I say unto you, except a corn of wheat, a grain of wheat, fall... Now what do we make bread out of? Well, you make it out of lentils, a lot of stuff, but wheat. Except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. So whenever we look at the life of Christ, we see where he is representing the olive and the tav. He is the beginning and the end, the first and the last. The last message in red, if you have a red letter Bible in Revelations, is Jesus is speaking and he says to the angel to go tell all the churches. Every church is supposed to hear this message. He said, you go tell them that I am the root and the offspring of David. I am David's father, but I am also his son. And folks, that's pretty incredible because most of us have to be a son before we can be a father. In other words, let me put it like this. I am David's creator and I am his progeny. In other words, I'm God. I'm the beginning, I'm the end. I'm the first, I'm the last. I'm the creator, I'm all that ever was. So when we look at this, as we're walking now through this bread of memorial and we're walking and looking at this table of shoe bread, we are seeing now that the table is an expression with the two crowns but it is what the table is to uphold and that is the bread and so we see now where Jesus is saying this bread of communion or this staff of life if he hadn't have been willing to be the corn of wheat that fell into the ground to die that we couldn't have this eternal life that he came to give and then in 1 Corinthians and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you this do in remembrance of me he is the beginning and the end. He's the first and he's the last. He, he is the seed of the bread. He is the whole loaf of bread, so to speak. Uh, and of course then uh, uh, I mentioned already about the table, that it had a double crown uh, representing kings and priests probably, which both Christ was. 
He is coming back as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but he also holds the office of a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And we see then that I mentioned the other two articles of furnishings that God gives us the instruction to build a crown around the top of them, the mercy seat which sat on the Ark of the Covenant, the altar of incense, and the table of shewbread. Now, these altar of incense, which we have not mentioned yet, let's just stick with the table of shewbread, the altar of sacrifice, which is in the outer courtyard, and the mercy seat. All three of these have the same level or the same height, 1.5 cubits. And I believe that that is indicative of the fact that it is at the altar of sacrifice that God is putting the altar of sacrifice on the same level of sanctity and the same level of importance as he is at the table of shewbread, the same height. And these two are the same height as the Ark of the Covenant. And what I see, what I see in that is I see that that is the way that we are caught up to set with him in heavenly places. If you are down and you are out and you are trying to get rekindled and stir up that gift that God has placed within you, then you come to this level of the altar of sacrifice, Calvary, uh, the cross, place of death, take up your cross, deny yourself. Then what do we do? Then only through that we now can come into fellowship, which is that's the way we approach the table of the Lord. And through our repenting and through our coming into communion with God and fellowship with God, we're then caught up to sit with Him in what? Heavenly places far above all power and principality and might and and every and and this is what God has given us this plan for us so we can understand how to live in his presence that's what the whole tabernacle plans for the tabernacle plan is not for the world the world can't see what's in it the world can't understand what's in it the only thing they can do is if they got a peek through a gate is they could see some bloody altar of sacrifice but they would never be allowed in to see the beauty and the holiness of the cherubims and the gold on the inside never be allowed to eat the sweetness of the bread, drink of the wine, uh, and see the tapestries. And so what God is doing is, is through this plan, He's giving you and I, uh, just as we're learning in our lessons on priesthood, He's giving us instruction and an order on how to live successfully for God, which is easy to do if you'll do it hard. If you try to live for God easy, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do because you'll still have love for the world. All right, so... Uh, also made of pure gold was not uh, 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 was the dishes, was the spoons, was the covers, was the pitchers, and was the bowls. And these are the five items that would be set on this table of shewbread. Also, you're going to notice that we had Aaron was the high priest. He had four sons. You're going to notice in the New Testament it is a fivefold ministry. Those of you that have been with us for a while. In my life lessons and teachings, I teach what's that in your hand, uh, the five, uh, five characteristics that you can govern your life by. It is a five-fold ministry. It, it, we are complete in Him. And so you're going to see this number five uh, as instruments that man, when he grasps them all, that he can complete himself in the functions of God. Uh, next, this brings us to the golden lampstand. And uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I need to share about the table of shewbread. Uh, I hope that something said there magnifies the Lord and that you realize that if nothing else, let me reiterate the fact that the purpose of God to give us this table of shewbread first 
is that's how much God wants to have fellowship with you. He didn't give you, now, now think about religion. I want you to just think about this, and I'll close like this, and, and we're all like this. Uh, if us pastors and preachers would be telling you how to get to God, none of us start with how great God is and the beauty of the throne room and how he wants to have fellowship. Where do we start? We start everybody with, you're a sinner, <laughs> and we start you at the altar, and you need to do this, you need to get baptized, you need to do this, you need to... And that's all true. But God's approach has never been condemnation. God's approach is to first love us. Adam, where are you? And I think the hardest thing for us to learn, especially with family members, is that it is the love and then our witness that will speak louder than any condemnation we try to bring. And so when we see the pattern of how God gave to them first to understand, I, I, I'm doing all this because I want to have fellowship with you. If you want to have fellowship with me as badly as I want to have fellowship with you, then there is an ordained process you have to walk through. I'm going to close with this. I've shared it before, but I've not put it on tape. Uh, many years ago, uh, uh, back, I don't know how things uh, seem to be faddish, in the, even in the spirit realm, and you'll remember where people were having this out-of-body experience or this near-death experience, and they would all approach a light. Remember whenever, it, and I saw a light, and go towards the light, and those you've been around a while, you'll remember hearing all that stuff. And uh, I was working at a church, and took a phone call. It was a woman that was uh, demonically possessed, truly was. And uh, ended up uh, dealing with her and getting her to the church. And this story she told me. Her and her uh, cohort, their, uh, their job was to pick up hitchhikers along I-10. And uh, whatever they did after that, who knows. And they were uh, Satan worshipers. And this male friend of hers and her overdosed on drugs and they were dying and they both after they came to and they did live uh, had a very similar experience and that was the fact that they were headed towards this tunnel of light but they never approached it and she didn't quite understand it and this male friend of hers said to her you don't know why we didn't make it to the light and she said no I don't get it he said we would have been destroyed if we would have gone to the light, we would have been destroyed. Now, I'm just telling you what I was told. No way to prove or disprove any of this. And I thought, well, wow, that was really interesting because I had just had an epiphany while sitting on someone's porch one night watching a bug light, B-U-G, not B-U-D, a bug light, B-U-G, bug light. And as I watched this bug light in the quiet of the evening, I noticed that these bugs would fly into it, purple little glowing light, and then you'd see a zip and a little bit of brightness and the bug was evaporated. Now, the light, this is the way it came to me, the light was not trying to hurt the bug. The light was not out to destroy anything around it. But anything that was not of the same characteristic of the light, in order for the light to stay pure, in order for the light to be what it had to be, 
could not allow anything to come into his essence that was not like it. God is light. And I said that because this is the way I see this. I said that because what God is doing is God desires to have fellowship with us. And the truth of the matter is, I know this you can't receive this until you see it of yourself. When we finally see who and what we are, <clears throat> we've all sinned and come short. Look, folks, when you finally see yourself, you'll find out you are probably the most self-serving, self-centered, flawed thing you've ever dealt with. And if you go through your religious life only looking at others, you're really a mess. Because you're not supposed to look at anyone except yourself. It's the mirror of the Word of God. And until you can let, reach that level of maturity to where you can allow God to let you see yourself. And what we are is we are on a journey. God has called us to this table of fellowship. He's called us into the glory, the Shekinah. He's called us to live in the light. But no man can approach the light. And we're not going to get there on good works and good deeds if our heart and our inner being is not in the right place. I mean, we need to do those things. But we are purifying ourselves so that when we approach the light, see, God's not going to be angry. God's not vindictive. His essence is just light and purity. And anything that tries to come into that light that hasn't become what he is can't survive in it. And so God is calling us to this place of eternity. But for anyone to think that they're just going to lollygag in there, he's given us the plan whereby we can purify ourselves. And this plan is revealed to us in his teachings on the tabernacle of how we start through the one door. Jesus is the door. Is how we then come to the altar of sacrifice, which is where there is death. Blood has to be shed, which is where we symbolically are buried with Christ. Then we come to that place of burial at the laver. We are immersed and buried with him. Then we are resurrected into the newness of life. All things old pass away. The things of the world grow strangely dim because now we have a vision and we're seeing things that are beautiful that we've never seen before because we are now entered behind the veil and we're seeing the things that God has done rather than what man has done. And we're still in the world, but we're not of the world. And then we are coming into the presence of the Lord to have fellowship with Him. And this new walk that we're in, we would be in total darkness except for this man-height-tall menorah, seven-candled lampstand, of which the servant candle, it was the light that lighteth all the other candles, which John says, lighteth the light of every man that cometh into the world, that we are able to see by this, now to come to the shoe bread, to have fellowship with him, and be sustained by this broken bread, this broken body. And then, when we get to the mystery of the altar of incense, the 14th item that he'll give us instruction, we lift up the sacrifice of praise, which is what he calls us in 1 Peter, and we enter into the holy place, to the mercy seat, where he says, come boldly now before the throne of grace. And when we walk in the pattern that God has given to us, this, in my opinion, and I want to get it in here and I'm done. In my opinion, 
the immersion of the Holy Spirit is the seal of God's approval. And this spirit baptism, in, uh, you read church history, uh, many of the founding fathers, when they would baptize you into water, because there's two baptisms, there's one into water, baptized into the cloud, and into the sea. You can read this. If they would bring you up out of the water and you weren't immediately immersed in the Holy Spirit, they would put you back under the water. Because what the immersion of the Spirit is, is the Bible calls it the sign of the covenant or the seal of the covenant. It is God, let me see how to say this without being offensive. We teach people to accept the Lord, but we've never understood the plan is we need to get God to accept our sacrifice. Because what this immersion of the Spirit is, is the fact that now I have come to that level of faith to where God's able to put His seal on me. And I know that may sound foreign to some of us, and I've gone far enough. We're going to end right there.